And so this week, we'll be exploring further where the talk is called, You Are Formed for God's Family. We'll explore what it means, what it, our purpose is, why we were formed for God's family. So we'll start in the beginning. Uh, God created everything. He did the universe. He did the stars. He did the world. He did plants. He did animals. He did all that stuff. Uh, and then we get to Genesis 2. And the Lord had created um, humanity. And God said, it says in Genesis 2, 18, The Lord God said, it is not good for the man to be alone. It's not good for the man to be alone. Now, it, to put some context into this, he didn't just make one bloke and go, do you know what? Men, we should not leave them alone. It wasn't that. Um, it's very confusing because the name Adam, who was the first bloke he made, also means man, um, means mankind. So when he created Adam, he named him inventively mankind, don't get into it. Um, but he made mankind. He made one of us. And he went, it is not good for man to be alone. We're not, we're created um, for community. We're created to be in partnerships. We're not created uh, to be alone. But it's not just a biblical concept. It's not just what God says. It's in popular culture too. I don't know if you've seen the film About a Boy, um, Hugh Grant. Um, who basically his ethos is, I'm, I can be alone and I'm fine. I don't need anybody. I'm an island. Um, and then he joins a group called SPAT, Single Parents Alone Together. don't know. I've seen this film too many times, haven't I? Um, yeah, in, in that group, he finds the community. He finds the people. He finds that he is, he's not meant to be alone. But it's not just chick flicks. It's all kinds of films. Batman. He, he's not meant to be alone. Superman, he's not meant to be alone. No, there's no person who, left alone to their own devices, is better off than they are within a community. But it's not just in the Bible and what God says, and not just in popular culture. It's also in the world of science. Did you know, and if someone says yes, I'll be surprised, the European Journal of Preventative Cardiology um, did a study they did a study on people who had been married and their partner had died. Uh, and they did a study for the next 14 years. Why 14? I do not know. Um, and why they specifically went out after people whose partners just died. Oh, you're, you're in grief. Can I just study you for the next 14 years? Is that okay? Um, don't know why they did it, but that's what they did. And for the next 14 years, they discovered that people who after their partner had died, basically just lived on their own, didn't see many people, didn't go to any groups, uh, were more likely to develop serious heart problems and die within that next 14 years. Whereas, um, it says, if you had a pet or a plant, grouped them together, so I don't know the individual impact, but pets will be feeling quite bad now, right now, whereas the plants are all chuffed. If you had a pet or a plant, you were more likely to survive longer. But if you remarried or went to live with your family or went to live within one of those kind of community um, groups or community nursing homes, you were more likely to still be alive 
at the end of the 14 years. So what I'm saying by this is, God says it, popular culture says it, science says it, we are not meant to be on our own. We are not meant to live lives in isolation. We are not meant to live um, in solitude. So we're not meant to live alone, I think we've got that bit. But God's intention was broader than that. Um, and he says it right, you know, not much further into the Bible. Genesis 12, he finds this guy called Abraham. Abraham. And he says, go from your country and your people and your father's household to the land I will show you. And I will make you into a great nation. That's what the name Abraham means, actually. means father of nations. Um, and I will bless you. And I will make your name great. And I will make you, you will be a blessing. And I will bless those who bless you and curse those who curse you. And all the peoples on earth will be blessed through you. And I think sometimes we can forget how significant a moment some of these things are. He's saying to this one man that all of the earth will be blessed through you, through your family. And it's quite clear in my mind that God's intentions is for us to be in families, to be part of a family. And a family, in Abraham's family, his family is supposed to be a place where you find your purpose, and your purpose is to be a blessing to the entire world. But um, if we look at Abraham's family, going to the, there should be a lovely uh, diagram of Abraham's family. Um, yeah, this is his family tree. It got very messy very quickly, um, and he tried to, you know, yeah, it just read that book. It just goes wrong on every level in every stage. Um, but don't worry, God still worked. Um, but I think it, it, it has a purpose, this messy illustration. Um, this family who's supposed to bless the world got so messy, so quickly, so complicated. They're not all genetic family. Um, and I think it's used to illustrate something more. And as you work your way through the old Testament, people get further away from the purpose of this family, which was to bless the entire world. But that's okay. Um, it's okay that they got further away from the purpose, because we got to the New Testament, we got Jesus. But, but by the time we get to Jesus, this family that was supposed to be a blessing to the entire world, um, for example, hated the Samaritans so much that they were just... Ugh, at the sound of the name Samaritan. They're supposed to be a blessing to everyone in the entire world, but one name, ugh. Basically, they got it slightly wrong, and Jesus reset, reset the boundaries, reset the borderlines of what a family is supposed to look like. When in John 1, 12 to 13, it says this, yet to all who did receive him, Jesus, to those who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God, children born not of natural descent, nor of human decision, or of a husband's will, but born of God. And this is the language of the early church. They often referred to each other as brother and sister. Those who became Christians became part of one big family. And I think 
that's the family that God had intended that kind of went slightly wrong after Abraham, but got a reset when we got to Jesus. Uh, it's a description of this family that we hear uh, in the book of Acts, this description of the early church. It's in Acts 2, 42 to 47. It says, they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship, to the breaking of bread and to prayer. Everyone was filled with awe at the many wonders and signs performed by the apostles. All the believers were together and had everything in common. They sold property and possessions to give to anyone who had need. Every day they continued to meet together in the temple courts. They broke bread in their homes and ate together with glad and sincere hearts, praising God and enjoying the favour of all people. And the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. This uh, illustration of church, this is what it's supposed to be like. This is the family uh, that we were formed for. Uh, we see it right in the beginning that we're told we're not supposed to be alone. And then very quickly we're told we're supposed to be part of a family that blesses the entire world. And it continues into the New Testament, this image of the church, of a support network, of a people group who care for each other, who meet together, who share life together. Our purpose is to be part of God's family, the church. And you may think, okay, I'm at church, tick. But I have to break it to you, this isn't church. This is a church building, this is a church service, but this isn't the church. Like, I love it. I come here, we worship together, we pray together, we learn together. But this is not the church. The church is all of us, all of the time, wherever we are. The church um, should be known for its love for one another. And I don't think you could really say that you really love everyone here if you only see them for an hour once a week. It doesn't seem like love to me. If I said, I love my wife, I see her for an hour every Sunday afternoon. I think you'd doubt my love for my wife if I only saw her for an hour on Sunday afternoons. Love. Uh, I've got a great quote on love for you. Um, John 13, 35. No, uh, you will know my disciples by your love for one another. Um, that's what Jesus said. He said, you'll know my disciples by their love for one another. So what does that love look like? Well, I think we always have this image of romance and all of those things. But I found a quote by Dostoevsky. I don't know who he is or what he did, but here's a lovely quote on love. So love in action is a harsh and dreadful thing compared with love in dreams. Love in action is a harsh and dreadful thing compared with love in dreams. But active love is labour and fortitude. It is a fanciful view of the church 
that we all come together for an hour and we're all lovey-dovey and we'll sing Kumbaya and then we go home and never see each other again. Um, it is a fanciful view of the church to even enjoy the service every week. My cousin started going to church. She doesn't believe in God. She's going so that she can get her baby into school eventually. And she said, I don't like church. And I said, why are you going then? And she was like, well, the grandmas there are really sweet and offer us cake every week and chat to us for ages. And I'm like, see, what you're saying is you actually don't like the service, but you love the church. And there's a real big difference between those two things. Our purpose, our call is to love one another. Our purpose is found in the church. Our purpose is being part of a family. And that's all of the theory behind it. So hopefully you've seen we're not meant to be alone. Hopefully you've seen we're supposed to be part of a family. And hopefully you've then seen that the family is the church, but the church isn't just this thing right now on a Sunday morning. Uh, and I've hopefully laid a lovely theoretical timeline for you for us to then dig into what practically it looks like for you um, to find your purpose, for you to be formed for this place. What does it all mean? So uh, it works out for me in two ways. Number one is to join the church. Um, I don't know if you've signed one of those join the adventure cards and you get all of the emails. I don't know if you've listed yourself as someone who'd like to help out on teams. Um, but at the fundamental level, joining just means saying, do you know what, I'm going to commit to this place. I'm going to commit to being a part of St. Mark's Church. You don't even have to believe. We don't have to believe in God and all of those things. That bit comes when we worship together, when we pray together, when we learn together. But to say, I want to belong to this group of people, that's the first step. Join the church and find out what your purpose is. Now, you might know from last week, if you were here, I very much like mopping. And I very much would have been happy if that was just my role in the church, just doing mopping. Because I like mopping and that's the easy part. But there are roles for all of us to play in church. And I feel just as happy mopping the floors here as I do praying for people, as I do speaking, as I do um, welcoming people. And there are so many different aspects of church life that we need a body for, we need people for. So I just recommend, if you haven't yet, just to try being part of the church in a different way, being part of a team. Uh, maybe you'd be good at doing this. If you're good at doing this, boy, do I have a job for you. You can control the screens. But there are many different ways. Talk to us afterwards. I'm sure um, we can find a way. So join. Once you've joined, that helps in one way. But for the real grit of it, for the real learning to love one another, you need to share. 
Once you join, you come to share. And we share in three ways, really um, important ways. One is for you to share your experience. When we gather together, we've got such a hive of collective minds within this space. In no other segment of society do you gather people from the richest of the rich to the poorest of the poor. We have, uh, well, we don't have millionaires walking through our doors, but churches have millionaires walking through their doors and homeless people walking through their doors. It's, it crosses all age groups, all racial groups, all um, any type of groups. You have them all within this one place. So you, you share your experience with others in loads of different ways. The other week, I was saying to someone, oh, Boaz doesn't really pronounce words properly. And they were like, oh, I'm a speech and language therapist. I can come and bring all of my stuff and sit down with him and see what we can do to help him with that. Our collective mind is so strong, so wise. Share your experience with each other. Share your problems with each other. Uh, I said over the summer that vulnerability was my superpower because I'm really good at telling you what's going on with me, what's wrong with me. Um, but over the summer, at the same time, when we're at Focus, I didn't really know anyone that well. Um, and I'd gone alone without Jess and the boys, and I didn't really know anyone else at Focus that well. And I got to a point during Focus where I just felt really low. And I just wanted someone to give, like someone I knew, to give me a hug. Um, and it was a really difficult moment for me. Um, and I think it was really difficult because I just hadn't got to that point where I could share my problems with others. Um, and so I don't know whether you're at that point yet, but I hope you are. And I hope you know that this is the place where you can come and you can share your problems. And you know what? Sharing your problems halves them. Keeping them in doesn't do anything to them, just makes them worse. So sharing your problems, sharing your experience, sharing your problems. And the last one is sharing yourself. Because like I've said, just here, an hour on a Sunday, you're not really, like, you're going to get some great sermons and some sermons that might not hit you as much, but hit other people really well. You're going to experience some great worship. You're going to be uh, enjoying spending time in God's presence. But really, for you to share yourself, it means you share yourself outside of these walls. And you can't do it with everybody here. And Jesus didn't do it with everybody all at once. He had a close of three and then a wider 12. So if you're not part of a group yet, I would highly recommend becoming part of a group. Um, and I would highly recommend not letting the group titles put you off. Um, because I thought there's a writer's group there's no way I'm going to join a writer's group. I, I don't even write anymore. Everything's on my phone, on my iPad, on my laptop. I don't write. But actually, I think I probably could have learned a lot from that group or the group of people. So maybe try a group that you don't think sounds like it's for you. Or maybe your collective wisdom or your experiences and your problems 
Maybe you can have a group that looks different, and that's the type of group that other people in this church would be able to go to, and they'd be able to share their experience, and they'd be able to share their problems, and they'd be able to share themselves. So join in, share your experience, share your problems, share yourself. And through doing all of those things, I think you'll begin to find your purpose. You'll begin to find that, yeah, being part of something is better than being alone. You'll find that being part of this family is worthwhile. You'll find your purpose in this church, with this church, and through this church. Let's pray.